All right. I'm excited today and encouraged as I've been studying this passage. We're going to be talking about our witness in and through our work. And here's why, uh, you know, every pastor gets up here and says they're excited. But here's why I'm especially excited because God gave me a little glimpse of what it might be like if just a handful of us, maybe a dozen or so of us, would just allow God to change our hearts in this area of the way in which we witness in and through our work. Think about it. Think about how our family would change. Think about how our friends would change. I mean, we'd sit around the fire and we wouldn't have anything to talk about. We would greet people and first thing we would say, we wouldn't say is what do you do for a living, right? But it would actually change because our identity wouldn't be what we do, but it would be whose we are. And that would make a profound impact on the world that we live in, wouldn't it? The second reason why I'm excited this morning is I think if we grasp this reality that our identity is not based on what we do, but it's based on whose we are, you see, we will not work to live, but we will live to work. God will use our lives as examples of Jesus in the workplace and around the home and in the community and in the school in which we uh, go about doing our work. You see, our relationship can come alive. And when our relationship with Christ comes alive, many of us have this testimony. When our relationship with Christ comes alive, people get attracted to Jesus. It probably happened in your life. I know it happened in my life, seeing others. So we're going to jump right into it. If you, have a, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd like to get your Bible. If you do, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're also going to be in Colossians 3. So you're going to have to hold your place in 1 Peter and find Colossians 3. Like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about our witness in and through work. Um, if you've been here or if you haven't been here, just uh, bring you up. Uh, to speed of where we're at in our series on Can I Get a Witness? Uh, we've examined what it means to be a witness by experiencing God's transforming work in our lives. That's what it all started with when, when Todd uh, went to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It was this making, setting Christ uh, apart in our hearts and lives. And because of that, we have been transformed. And through our transformation, we get the privilege of witnessing. Then we talked about um, our witness as the church. And then we talked about our witness last week to the government as we submit to the government. And then today we're going to come to our witness in and through the work. So our, our key verse, well, okay, what am I doing wrong? I know I got technology in my hand. That's what I'm doing wrong. They trust the hillbilly with technology. <clears throat> so this is, our key, this is our key verse for the series. Will be our key verse today. But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you possess. So that's our key verse for the series. Our key word uh, for the series, and especially last week and this week, is the word submission. 
And then our key spiritual takeaway from this whole series and today is that we set apart Christ in our heart and we allow him, we submit to his lordship in our life. All of these, all three of these are going to play a significant part today in our discussion. Um, to achieve what we are to be encouraged will be Christ living in us because Peter and Paul both are going to really challenge us today about how do we do when we work with others? How do we do in expressing the gospel when we're at work? You see, there's two parts that we're going to talk about today in our witness. There's the walking part. I'm going to use the word demonstration. So when I say demonstration, I really mean how do we walk out our faith? And then the other one is going to be our talk, which is our conversation. Both Peter and Paul are going to address both of these areas. And so we're going to walk through that. Some great principles we're going to learn today from Scripture. Before we uh, start reading, though, let me address two things very quickly so that uh, it will help us grasp these principles uh, that we'll be looking at. The first one <clears throat> is work. Now, there's so much out there about work, the philosophy of work, the theology of work, all that. We're not going to be able to cover a portion, even a, a, a thin hair of that today. That's not our goal, okay? But let me just say, the way we're going to see work today is that it was established by God himself before the fall in Genesis 2.15, and it was a good thing. In fact, God put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it, okay? And then secondly, God desires that we enjoy it. Some of you went, oh, really? Okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, Nothing better for a person than that they should eat and drink and find enjoyment in their work. Okay? So that's how we're kind of defining work today. The second thing we need to kind of get a hold of is we're going to see the word servant or slave. Okay? Now, <clears throat> Peter, both Peter and Paul are going to use the word slaves. And uh, let me just say, Peter's context of the word slave right? It's going to be used in, in the whole context of First Peter, which is under suffering. So when we read the verses that Peter's going to address the slaves, the bosses are going to be a little bit more pressing and a little bit more harder. And the sacrifice is going to be more towards suffering. Okay? Follow that? Paul's going to talk more in terms of the context of Colossians 3, which is what we'll be reading, and you'll see this, more in a family context. Uh, almost like a family bondservant. In fact, the, the word in several translations is bondservant. And so um, it, it's almost this picture of a slave being a domestic servant, okay? Um, and then Paul's actually going to also throw in a, a verse about uh, masters. And so basically what he's saying is um, those, basically we would use the terminology boss, versus master, okay? So I don't want us to get lost in those two words and not see the principles that they have for us, all right? Um, let me just say up front, neither Paul or Peter are advocating slavery just because they're addressing the slaves. Um, they're not advocating it. They both are addressing slavery as a recognized profession in the first century. Um, obviously, 
20 centuries later, over the last several hundred years, we've got a lot of baggage with that term. And that's kind of, when we hear the word slave, that's kind of where our mind automatically goes to, right? And so that's not the context in which these two epistles were written, all right? So we need to get through that. Now, I felt like I needed to get that away, out of the way uh, so that I could kind of make this leap from first century servant slavehood to 21st century employer-employee relationship. Because I don't think it's that big of a leap. And when you, when you start reading with me the scripture, I don't think you'll, you'll see it that way either. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 18. And as I read along, <clears throat> be attentive to two things, okay? Be attentive to the writers when they are talking about demonstrating the gospel. So when they are talking about their walk, how they live out Christ. And then when they are referring to us talking the gospel, okay? Again in verse 18. Get this on the screen here. Wow. Miracle. Y'all don't trust me back there? Cheryl, you're awesome. You want the clicker? Uh, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You kind of get the tone, the context with Peter. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. All right, there's our example, right? Now hold your place there. Go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Verse 22. Bondservants, slaves. Obeying everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bond servants or slaves just, just and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. Listen to how evangelistic Paul's prayer begins. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, so let's take a look, first of all, at the demonstration. Let's take a look at what Peter and Paul is going to tell us about living out our faith in and through our work. In verse 18 of 1 Peter he uses the word 
that first word right off the bat after slaves is submit. Be subject. Submit. I can't even say it out loud. Submit, right? It's like my flesh hates this word. Todd was talking about last week. It's like it's the hardest word, I think, sometimes in in our vocabulary is that word submission. And right off the bat, Peter's going to ask us to submit. And this, this act of submitting is really due to our respect of those that we're submitting to. Okay? This act of submitting is going to include a couple of things, Peter says. It's going to include the surrendering of rights, and it's going to include our obedience. You see, in verse 21, Jesus says for, or Peter says about Jesus, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He did have to leave us that example, didn't he? To surrender. But he also left us the example of surrendering rights. It's hard for me to say because I want to say surrendering my rights. But then I had to think about, do I really have any rights? I have rights as a citizen of the country, but do I really have rights? Where did I collect this bag of personal rights along life's journey? Where did I just think that, you know, my right to be right was something I was born with and I could just use that anytime I wanted to? What about my right that everything should revolve around me first when we make a decision versus others that I'm working with? You see, when we begin to think we have personal rights in our work, right, we, we, begin, to, we begin to make it about us. We, we begin to think that they should be serving us versus us serving them, all right? And any time that we surrender rights, it, it, it's a phenomenal victory because our personal rights, they can be so subtle, can't they? I mean, the, uh, because they just kind of are embedded in us and we don't think about them a lot. Only when the situation affects us and we start protecting ourselves and we start demanding and defending ourselves, then we start thinking about these personal rights that really Peter and Paul is going to say we really don't have. And then he's going to move right into obedience. If you'll surrender your rights, if you'll submit, then you'll obey. Peter's really stepping out there because he's saying it doesn't matter if your boss is nice or unjust. You just need to obey. Because Peter, I think, is saying when our submission is complete, it produces in us this desire, this desire that Paul talks about in chapter 3 about serving sincerely, right? He's going to use that in verse 22, I'm sorry, when he says this, Slaves obeying everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So when we submit, when we surrender our rights, when we obey, then it, these things should motivate us 
to serve sincerely. Why? Paul says not to please man. Don't do things that we earn favor from men. In fact, Paul's going to say, hey, do it in secret. Don't do it where you get applauded all the time. Sometimes it, it will require that. But what Paul's encouraging, don't please man, please God. Truly wanting to please God, not people. When we do those three things, this is the attitude and the transformation of our heart toward work and toward our place in work, okay? Because from that, it will uh, give us another fruit, which is it will be working willingly and wholeheartedly. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. One of the guys in sermon prep this week, he shared how he would pray this verse for years on the way to work. He was in a tough situation on his job, but he knew that God had him there for a reason. Didn't know the reason, couldn't see four years down the road what God was going to do in his life. My dad has a similar experience. We're at 55 as a recovering addict. Basically, his life begins again, and God just works and orchestrates through three years of this job, that job, and allows him to get a job that he retires, full retirement in the union for the last 11 years of his working life so that he could live and redeem the time that he lost with the other things of the world. And God did that for him. And the testimony that the the guy gave us in sermon prep was very similar. We don't know what God's going to do with our witness. We don't know what God's going to do with our hard work. But, but we, we need to respond to how the Spirit of God shapes our hearts when we are willing and humble to serve. Okay, stop. Reality check, right? <laughs> stop the bus, Gus. That's pretty good. Terry, but uh, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't know my boss. And you don't know the company I work for. And you don't know the people I have to work with, right? Now, some of you are saying that. Others, others of you, you're saying this. You're saying, Terry, I try my hardest. I really do. I go over and above all the time. I stay late. I do everything that they ask me to do, but no one ever seems to notice. I've not been rewarded for my work, and it just doesn't seem fair. Reality check, right? That's real life. That's working for bosses that are imperfect. That's us being imperfect servants, right? Okay, so what do we do with that? Well, I think for many of us, it's at this point when we really get frustrated, right? And this frustration, it sinks in deep. And it begins to distort our focus of the real meaning of work and the real meaning of why God has us where he has us, where he has us, and what he has us there for. You see, we begin to lose sight of the purpose of why we're even there. 
I mean, the guys who are telling us this, it's not like Peter had and Paul had cush jobs, right? I mean, Peter was a fisherman, then he had to, you know, be, a, be a, a, an apostle. Then he had to, you know, have a group of guys around him that were probably stinky because they fished all the time and that probably were not real cooperative. Paul, the same thing, right? Paul was a tent maker. He was a theologian. He was a church planner. He had a lot of stuff going on. And when he writes Colossians, he's a prisoner. If you go to Acts 28, don't go there now, but Acts 20, you'll see where Paul spent two years in this prison in Colossae when he wrote this uh, letter. And so this is why they're trying to encourage us. It's not like these two guys are sitting up here and they've never experienced the reality of what it's like to work for a hard boss. Kind of hard to say Jesus was a hard boss, but they're earthly bosses, right? And the circumstances that they were in were not favorable all the time. And yet they, they're encouraging us 21 centuries later, same thing, right? Not much has changed, but press in, press on. In fact, Peter's going to say, do it to please the Lord, verses 19 and 20. Paul's going to say in verse 24, do it to receive an inheritance. Wow. You mean an eternal inheritance? More valuable than any treasure, any accolade, any position we can earn this side of heaven, that's what we should work for? Absolutely. And you see, they know that in the hard work of the day, in the labor-intensive work of our day, we can lose focus sometimes. And they're calling us back to, no, no, stay in there. Submit, surrender, obey, and let the Spirit of God begin to empower you to serve Right? To serve sincerely and work wholeheartedly. Okay. This should motivate us in our freedom in choosing what and where we work, why we work, how we work, when and why we choose a different job. Some of us, we're in a tough place. Some of us, we, we've been working at the same place for a long time. And maybe we're feeling like we shouldn't be there anymore. This should be a motivation to examine your heart with Christ and the word of God and to begin praying and saying, God, do you have me here for bigger purposes than what I've been seeing? Is my focus on the right thing or is my focus on me? This should free us up. This should give us liberty to say, you know what? God's created me for a different position. God's created me for a different place. God's moving on our hearts to move somewhere. Remember, we're not defined by what we do. We, do, we are defined by whose we are, okay? So this should bring a lot of freedom in our work. What we do, um, if we've really messed up this big witness thing, okay? So we're going to transition a minute and go to reality check number two. Because all this probably sounds like you've heard it 450 times. And um, it sounds like maybe I'm a coach and I'm preaching at you to really stick this out. But 
some of you are sitting out there and you're going, man, the spirit of God's moving on my heart this morning. I'm feeling convicted over what God's word, not what I'm saying, but what on God's word is pointing out to me as I focus on what really my purpose should be at work. And I'm not really serving wholeheartedly. I'm not really, right, going the extra mile. Why is that? Or you know what? I've already messed this thing up. I have been so unchristian in my role. I have gossiped so long, so much. I've done this and that. I've been lazy. What do I do? Well, first and foremost, don't underestimate the power and significance of modeling Jesus through your failures. Very important. Because many of us believe that Christ is only in our successes. That's not true. He's in our failures too. Don't misunderstand me, right? Jesus is not waiting for us to fail. But what he is waiting for is when we fail, when we run and choose to run to him, that pleases him. And so if we've messed this witness thing up big time at work, then there's a couple of things that we can do. Follow along here. First thing we can do is we can ask God to forgive you. Repent and ask him to renew you and fill you with his spirit. Many of you, you've been working with me in the church, and we've done things together. And sometimes things get, you know, uh, a little hairy. And maybe I've been out of line, and the spirit of God's convicted me. Maybe I've had to come back to you and apologize for the way in which I acted. Ask forgiveness. You see, some of the most powerful displays of God's grace and his love to his children came when they responded in humble, humble confession before the Lord. Think about the heroes of this book. Many of them experienced great failure. And God demonstrated his power in that great failure to pull them out when they humbled themselves and confessed their sin and chose to walk with Jesus. So ask God to forgive you first and foremost. Repent. Secondly, ask fellow employees to forgive you. Don't do the second without doing the first first, okay? Third, don't defend your actions or words, but explain to them. Explain to them, you know, I, I've acted this way, I've done this way because I'm a sinner. I'm sinful, I'm not perfect. And then begin to, in a cool way, unpackage our need for Jesus and his grace and, our, and his forgiveness for us. Because we're gonna mess up again. But it's about God's grace being there and forgiving us. And it's a picture of the gospel. We don't, how powerful of, of a picture is that? Someone coming to the living God who has been in rebellion against him and all of a sudden being drawn to him, knowing that I am not worthy to be his son and yet he declares me through his grace, I'm his son. That's a picture of the gospel. That's what we're communicating in our lives if, if we're willing to not defend our words and actions, but really to confess them to God and then walk what forgiveness from God to us is about. 
Fourth, allow them to see the brokenness and be patient in winning their respect. Takes time, doesn't it? As a dad, I blow it all the time. I have to ask my kids for forgiveness, my wife for forgiveness. I can't expect that they just immediately, you know, put me at the same level. I have to be patient. I have to earn their respect. And then lastly, make restitution if necessary. Okay? All right. Got it, employees? Demonstration? Got it? All right. One of you got it. Okay, we're good. I only need nine more of you to make my dream come true. All right, employers, 4-1. Y'all want me to quit talking? Employers, Paul's going to address them in 4-1. He uses two words here. Justice and fairness, make this brief. Just in our expectations and in our decisions as bosses, okay? Secondly, he's going to use this word fairness or fair. Employers, that means you should be fair in your wages, in your evaluations, in your critiques. Fair in the treatment of all of your employees. We should follow Christ's example here. God shows no favoritism, neither should we, right? And God rewards faithfulness, so so should you as an employer. What do we do if we've blown it as an employer? Same thing the employees did when they blew it. Same exact steps. Be patient to receive the right to speak again into the lives of your employees. Be patient. Give your confession and repentance time to work in their heart. And then take confidence in the gospel. Okay. Last nugget here on demonstration. What you are speak so loudly, men cannot hear what you say. Boom. How about this one? This is by Francis and the sissy. Or have you say that. Proclaim the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Ouch. All right. So with that, let's move into our last part, our conversation. So now Paul's going to tell us in chapter 4, beginning in verse 2 through 6, now that we're going to have to speak, we've lived it, now we're going to have to speak it. Okay? We're going to have to speak the gospel. We're going to have to witness to the transformation that Christ has made in our life. How's he going to do it? Look at this in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul knows, first of all, the importance of praying before we start talking. Prayer is hard work, isn't it? When we truly pray, when we truly have the heart of prayer for those uh, that we work with and our loved ones, it, it causes us to have to have faith and perseverance and commitment. Prayer is not something I, I think a lot of us wake up and say, I'm going to get my 45 minutes in this morning. I think there's so many other things that compete with our prayers. It's hard work. Paul's Paul's not taking it lightly at all. He's saying we got to pray before we speak. 
And that's the hardest thing some of us will do, including me. I tend to speak before I pray. Verse 3 and 4, Paul gets personal with himself, and he kind of asks a group of people to pray for him. And look at what he asked them to pray for him. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He doesn't pray, God, get me out of this circumstance. And he doesn't send out a prayer list to all of his prayer buddies and saying, I'm in prison, get me out of here. What does he say? While I am in prison, while I am in my current circumstance, pray for me that a door would open, that I would have an opportunity to share my faith. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that challenging? We tend to do the opposite, don't we? Very challenging. All right, here's some things he prayed. Pray for wisdom and an alert mind. Pray for a thankful heart. Why would he put that in there? I think he puts that in there so it refocuses our attention on the goodness of God. It allows us to gain an eternal perspective. See, now what Paul's saying is witnessing turns into an act of worship when we have a grateful heart. It's not something we do and we add on to life or our work, but it's something we do as an act of worship to God. Give us opportunities. When you begin to pray and have others pray for you to give you opportunities at work, be mindful of how the Spirit is working in the lives of others. Give us clarity of speech. Verse 4, this goes back to our key verse for the series, right? First Peter, be ready. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us, right? How do we do that? Well, it's going to mean you're going to have to know God's story. And you're going to need to know your story so that you're ready to give an answer for the hope. I'm not good at talking to people, Terry. I mean, I'm there to work and I'm getting my work done and I'm going to clock out and I'm going to leave. I'm not really good at talking to anybody. Can you help me with this? Yes. Two things. One, find common ground and begin there. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. What Paul's basically saying is, have a conversation with someone. Enter into their space, right? Don't feel awkward about that. Find common ground. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're watching. Listen to how they live their lives. How many kids they have? How many grandkids they have? Start with what they're already talking about. Okay, and if that fails, this is, this is a clincher every time. Talk about their favorite subject, which 10 out of 10 times is themselves. We love talking about ourselves, right? That one never fails. Go after that one. The last one is let your conversation be precious and attractive. Let your conversation be Precious and attractive. Good principles, right? Okay. Here's what I mean by let your conversation be precious and attractive. I, 
I've got a slide. I don't know where I'm at on slides. There we go. So I think some of the awkwardness that happens when we feel forced to share our testimony, we feel forced that we have to share the gospel. I think what happens is we think it's got to be a presentation when the reality is it should be a conversation, okay? So look at the difference of the two. A presentation starts in our Christian worldview, where a conversation starts in the other person's worldview. You're entering into their world. Presentation assumes they have some knowledge of the gospel. Conversation assumes they don't know the gospel. Focuses on the lost person as a sinner. Focuses on the imagadeo in the sinner. God in the sinner. Effective with people with a church background. Effective regardless of church background. Presentation focuses on immediate decision. Conversation hopes for a decision but appreciates the process involved in reaching people today. Is that helpful? Pretty helpful? Okay. So, Terry, how do we know that we're ready? Peter says, be ready all the time. Can't help you any more than that. Got to be ready. What if I mess it up when I'm sharing? Learn from it. God will use a willing vessel surrendered to him in incredible ways. What if I don't have all the answers? Join the club. None of us do. Tell them that you will look into finding the answer or answers and you'll get back to them. Let me leave you with this. This is in your notes. Definition of successful witnessing. We talk about our witness in and through our work. It's taking the initiative to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Think about that. If, I, if I'm an employee, the way in which I demonstrate and the way in which I communicate and converse the gospel, it is somewhat up to me as far as how people see it. But it's really the Spirit of God that has worked through me and in me that makes that happen. Right? Witnessing is not about us, but about God and the person who needs Him. Billy, you guys can come on up. Here's my thought on that. Are y'all coming up or no? Are y'all supposed to come up? You have another song, Billy? Okay. All right. I'm all over this thing. <clears throat> Let me leave you with this, though. Because I think, I, think I think we've heard, many of us heard from the Spirit of God this morning. Most of us work for someone or in our day-to-day -day activity through our work, whether we're at school or in a community or we're serving our family at home. We're working. And so this is a big area, I realize. But I know some of us, we're dealing with conviction because I was convicted all week as I prepared this. We need to respond to this. We need to respond to the Lord because, again, if a dozen of us, if 20 of us 
would take to heart what Peter and Paul has laid out for us today. It would be a different world that we live in. And it can begin with us through Cornerstone. So as they sing and, and we process through, may the Lord of salvation give you his power and his strength to declare his glory and his blessings confidently and courageously in your workplace as you leave. God bless.